You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Grab a seat. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the, the peace and the joy that we experience through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the sunshine. Thank you for the wind. Thank you for the grass. Thank you for the trees. Thank you for each other. Thank you for your church. Thank you for worship. Thank you for your word. We pray now, God, would you use this time to be honored, to be glorified in the name of Christ. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Hey guys, great being with you this morning. My name is Ryan. I serve as the lead pastor of the church. Uh, I bet you're wondering, man, are we going to get in those buildings? Uh, We are. uh, This last week we had inspectors come out and they they inspected and we were anticipating there were seven areas that they were going to look at. Uh, to uh, give us approval, and we passed all of those. But then they, they turned around and gave us two more areas to focus on before they give us our, our uh, permission to meet in those buildings. They, wanted, they said there was too many exit signs in that building. So I'm like, too many? Uh, but So we're going to fix that this week, and then they've asked us to just put some what's called panic bars on the kids' building uh, so we'll get that fixed up just uh, early this week, and Lord willing, we'll be in that that new uh, building this coming Sunday. So, yeah, we celebrate. You know, um, I, I had a, a friend out here, Pastor uh, Don Wilson, guy, uh, that's a pretty big church. It's like, I think it's the seventh largest church in the nation. And uh, he said, Ryan, he said, you know, you you you're meeting under this Ramada, you'll be fine. And I said, well, it's easy for you to say. You got a nice air conditioned building. And he said, well, we met in tents for ten years. Ten years. He goes, I think you'll be okay for a couple of weeks, young young buddy. So I was like, oh well, you got me there. Uh, the Israelites wandered the desert for 40, 40, 40 years, so I think we'll we'll be okay. So hey, uh, glad you are here. Welcome to. Uh, 40 Days with Jesus. Uh, Over the next uh, eight weeks, we're going to experience some pretty neat transformation. Um, In a couple of weeks, we're going to be having baptisms. I want to encourage you to be thinking about that. What a great picture and symbolism of the transformation of what God's doing in uh, uh, young men and young women's life. We'll do that here on the campus. But I want to encourage you, God wants to transform your life. That's what he wants to do. He wants to transform every part of your life. It's for your good and it's for his glory. Over the next 40 days, we're going we're gonna, to, I'm going to encourage you and challenge you to dedicate yourself to studying and learning about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. You say, why 40 days? Well, the average person lives about 28,689 days on earth. That's a long time. 28,000 plus days. If you want to test yourself, you can go to deathclock.com and there's a countdown for you. And you know, the internet's always right, right? So, but uh, average person will live 28,000 days. We want to encourage you to set aside 40 of those days to journey with Jesus. We want to challenge you to separate some time in your schedule to studying the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, starting tomorrow morning, we'll have uh, devotionals that will come out on version, and they'll also be on our website. They'll follow this message this morning, and it'll it give you an in-depth look at the person and the work of Christ over the next eight weeks. Forty days in the Bible is a very significant number. Noah's life was transformed by 40 days of rain. 
Moses' life was transformed on Mount Sinai in 40 days. The spies, when they entered into the uh, promised land, their lives were transformed in 40 days. David was transformed by Goliath's 40-day challenge. Elijah was transformed when God gave him 40 days uh, from a, a strength uh, from a single meal. The entire city of Nineveh was transformed when God gave the people 40 days to change. Jesus was empowered by the Spirit of God in a miraculous way when he went into the wilderness to prepare for his ministry for a period of 40 days. The disciples were transformed in the days after Jesus' resurrection. Jesus appeared for a period of 40 days after his resurrection and appeared and showed himself on 12 different accounts for a period of 40 days. The series will offer this morning eight 40-minute messages, along with 40 devotionals that you can follow from Sunday's message. My encouragement to you is that you set your goal on transformation. You need to transform more and more. It's for your good and it's for God's glory. Your goal is not information at church. Your goal at church is to become more and more transformed over the years, that God begins to take the way your heart feels and expresses itself and becomes more in line with his design. Over time, what God will do is he will literally rewire the desires that you have, your aspirations, your hopes, and your dreams. If you journey with a relationship with Jesus Christ, those of you who are really young, your life will begin to shape and take uh, the rough edges will smooth off over time. And the Bible says, don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I wanna challenge you to renew your mind over the next 40 days. I wanna challenge you to take some, an extra measure of intentionality to study the most famous person that ever lived, history's greatest, the person in the work of Jesus Christ. Let his life be a greater reflection of your life. His ways are always better than our ways. This morning, what we're gonna look at is his birth, and then our birth, and how we relate in that. I was born in Dallas, Texas. I grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas. I didn't get to choose which social class I was born in. I didn't get to choose what city I was born in. Uh, there was nothing preceding my birth other than uh, my, my mom had sent out some invitations, we're gonna have a boy. Uh, but the life of Jesus Christ is radically different when it comes to his birth. Everything about Jesus is, is, is really incredible. His life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. The first thing we're gonna see this morning as we look at the gospel account in Matthew is that Jesus, the Messiah, would be born in Bethlehem. Did you know that the prophet Micah predicted that Jesus would be born, that the Messiah would be born, the Son of God would be born in the exact location of Bethlehem? The word Bethlehem literally means house of bread. I find that very interesting because Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And it's from Bethlehem that he's born. 500 years before the birth of Christ, a prophet rises up and says, the Messiah is gonna be born in Bethlehem. There's nothing that miraculous about your birth. Nobody predicted that you were gonna be born hundreds of years ahead of time, but Jesus was. His birth is incredible. It says this, in Matthew, 
It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. A lot of people were enamored and had heard rumors about Jesus's birth. It was predicted there was uh, ancient religious writings in the Torah, in the Talmud, in the Tanah, and Jewish uh, observers and scholars were understanding that these were what's called messianic times in this first century. Herod the king is terrified about this potential threat that somebody else named Jesus or king of the Jews is going to be born. Herod is under the Roman uh, rule. He is more Roman than he is religious by any means. He would put the eagle, the symbol of the Roman empire upon the temple. In the religious community, Herod was looked at as a scandalous uh, fraudster and a fake. He is born, he is at this time during the birth of Jesus Christ, he's about 69 years old. Herod is one of the most dangerous men in Jesus's day. Herod's the guy who's going to have his, uh, ultimately in life, he's going to have 10 different wives. He's going to have seven sons. He's going to have succession problems all the way through. You talk about tense father-son relationships. Herod was a brute. Caesar Augustus of Rome said this about Herod. He said, it would be better to be a pig of Herod than to be a son in Herod's household. Herod was a, a dangerous man who was paranoid to say the least, yet he was an incredible builder and architect. He would rule in Judea for more than 30 years. He is a client king put in charge to try to keep peace between the Jews and Rome. These are messianic times. Jesus being in Bethlehem begins to make Herod pretty nervous. His birth is really special because it was predicted and promised about the details. Herod, we're going to see, is the one who's going to launch a campaign to try to annihilate this threat of king of the Jews. The Bible says that wise men showed up. They came from the east. Some people think these guys were kings because of the gifts, the extravagant gifts that they're going to give Jesus. Some people call them astronomers or astrologists. Uh, they were people that had been studying the ancient religious text about Jesus being born. And so they travel to Jerusalem first as the capital city, and they want to find out where Jesus is born. Jesus' birth is also noted that Jesus the Messiah would be called a king. In the book of Isaiah, we see that, uh, that the Bible says that hundreds of years before Jesus would be born, that he would be called a king. In, when the wise men show up, they said, where is this one who's been born king of the Jews? That phrase, king of the Jews, would have alarmed Herod tremendously. He didn't like the idea of anybody threatening his kingdom. Herod was the king, and the greatest king would be that of Caesar, and so any idea of some revolutionary Messiah man showing up and calling himself king was a threat, to say the least. The wise men show up. They ask that question, where is king of the Jews? Jesus being called king is exactly what got him crucified. When you recall back in the gospel accounts on the life of Christ, when he's crucified, they ensured that was his charge, that he claimed to be king. Jesus is not only king of Jewish people, Jesus is the king of every 
tongue, tribe, and nation. He's the king over heaven. He's the king over earth. What you need to hear this morning is that in order for us to understand our new birth that we're going to experience, we've got to recognize Jesus as the king. The temptation is for you and me is that we try to be king that we try to rule our own life and we organize it. And in the very beginning, you need to understand that Jesus was promised as a literal king and he would be a spiritual king over many, many nations. Jesus the Messiah would be called king. This bothered Herod. Third thing we're going to see is that Jesus the Messiah would be accompanied by a star. This would be a great star. It was predicted hundreds of years before that a star, a supernatural uh, uh, visual display of splendor would be accompanying the birth of Christ. The wise men come in and they say, for we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. They recognize that God has power over uh, creation, over the stars, over the planets, and it was predicted that there would be this great star. It's interesting, this was not a natural appearance, but it was a supernatural appearance like that of Abraham that the book of Acts mentions or like that of Moses when he was a pillar of fire was there in with him by night and a cloud by day. It was literally like the shining manifestation of the glory of God, this star that these wise men saw. And it was predicted that this would happen. This was a supernatural occurrence. For me, I was in 1997. Some of you guys might remember this, but there was this great comet that was a, appeared during our time. And it was said to be one of the, the most miraculous uh, stars of our generation. And it shined for a period of like 180 days. This star is interesting. I did some research in 1991. There's a quarterly journal of the Royal Astronomical Society noted that Chinese astronomers had observed a long-tailed, slow-moving comet in the skies in, uh, during the same time of the birth of Christ. And that star hung in the Capricorn region for a period of over 70 days. Jesus' birth was unique in that Bethlehem was promised. Jesus' birth is unique in that this incredible power and display of light would be there. And it was testified by Christians, non-Christians, historians of all sorts, that this star would appear. These are the promises. These are predictions that Jesus was the Son of God. On my birthday, there was no massive comet. There was no prediction about where I'd be born. I was born in Baylor Hospital in Dallas, Texas. Nobody said that. Nobody, nobody planned that other than my mom. A few weeks before, this is where I was going to be born. For the life of Christ... Hundreds of years had been or at work. There would be Bethlehem. There would be the star. And these wise men, these magi, they say, we've come to worship him. These were well-educated scientists. These were not uh, uh, fanatics that had been swept up in the Jesus movement of that day. No, these are people that were removed were motivated by logic and reason and science, and they're drawn into Jerusalem. And they come to King Herod, not knowing the kind of man Herod is. Verse 3, we read, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. He was deeply troubled. Why was he troubled? Because the idea of a king other than Herod or King Caesar was a threat. It was a threat to his political office. And it says, and all of Jerusalem with him. 
what Herod would do is he would incite some mourning or sadness upon the city. It's like lowering the flag to half staff when something bad happens, that there should be this mourning period. Herod began to institute that there was trouble. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Herod had to gather scholars, he had to got, gather the religious community and try to figure out exactly where, where this Jesus would be born. The wise men respond and they said, they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. They're talking about Micah. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Jesus would be called the great shepherd later in life. He would be called the great shepherd that would shepherd his people. When you go to church and you hear somebody talk about sometimes, oh, we are the sheep and he is the shepherd. Well, that's exactly what it is. It's that mentality and understanding that we have to be dependent upon somebody to guide us through life and every challenge that we face. He would be the great shepherd and out of Bethlehem, these wise men say, this is where he will be. In verse 7, we read, this, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Hey, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, would you bring me word that I too would come and worship him? Let me ask you a question. Do you think Herod really wants to worship him? He doesn't at all. When I first was a, a new believer and I read that, I thought, Oh, well, Herod's a great king. Maybe he really does want to worship Jesus. Well, if you read later in the Gospel of Matthew and you see what he actually does in Bethlehem, he uh, makes a, a command to kill all the children under two years old that are males. He was notorious for wiping out any threat to his kingdom. The idea of some King Jesus revolutionary Messiah guy, he's going to wipe it out. And that very promise uh, and that very action of even Herod calling for a mass killing for all the young children was predicted by the prophets as well, that there would be great weeping and mourning in the city of Bethlehem. Jesus escapes, is what we read later. He escapes that, flees off to Egypt for a time period, and later uh, lives his life in Nazareth. But we see here, Herod does not want to worship him. To Herod, there is only one king, and that king is himself, his client king, and King Caesar. Herod was a liar. Herod was a sick old man. Historians say he was about 69 years old at the time of this. He was uh, sick uh, mentally, emotionally. He would have his wife, Miriam, killed, murdered, ordered their deaths for insubordination and insurrection. He would have his sons killed. Herod was a dangerous man. He was hated and he was a tyrant. What we see with Herod is he's a lie and he says, I've, I want to come and worship him too. In verse 9, we pick up and these wise men are wise. They say, after listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen uh, went when it rose. They went before them until they came to the rest over the place where the child was. Where was the child? The child was promised to be born in Bethlehem. The child was born into a very ordinary situation in the sense of a small little town, just like a lot of other people were born in that time, but the promises were extraordinary. Jesus would be born 
not simply in Bethlehem to a normal family situation, but Jesus the Messiah would be born of a virgin. That's perhaps one of the most startling realities for us as Christians to understand, and it's one of the most important, is that God said thousands of years before through the prophet Isaiah that this Messiah would be born of a virgin. Larry King was once asked, if you could interview anybody, who would you interview in human history and why? And Larry said, I would interview Jesus Christ. The reporter said, well, what would you ask him? And he said, I would ask if the virgin birth is really true. Because if that virgin birth is really true, then that changes everything for me. Jesus was predicted, the Messiah was said to be born of a virgin. These wise men go into the house and they see the child with Mary. She's a young 14-year-old Jewish girl who had already been visited by angels and a supernatural occurrence, an extraordinary experience that the Messiah was to be born. But it was not by natural relations. It was through a supernatural work of God. Jesus in the virgin birth, we see is a sinless person. Jesus never sinned. Jesus' relationship in life is a perfect life of complete perfection lives his life, declares himself to be the son of God, shows himself through his words and his powerful preaching and his works, demonstrating his authority. Jesus had power and authority over creation. Jesus had power over sickness. Jesus had power over supernatural occurrences. He was a miracle worker of his time. The question that everybody was asking, well, is he really the son of God? Jesus the Messiah would be worthy of a king's worship. These magi have been called throughout history also kings. When you sing some of those Christmas songs, there's a song that says, We Three Kings. And they were thought to be kings because of the extravagance of the gifts that they brought. And going into the house, they saw the child and Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. These are kings who have studied Jesus, investigated the Messiahs uh, and the claims of Scripture. They'd never met him in his life. It was not an emotional appeal, but they, by reason and logic and science, they're drawn to Bethlehem. They're drawn to that little manger where Mary is, where Jesus is lying in a feeding trough for donkeys. And they don't say, are you kidding me? Is he not born in the palaces of Rome or in the temple in Jerusalem, but he's here in Bethlehem? The reason they had such a great confidence is because they had themselves enamored with scriptures. They trusted that and they walked in that and they see a supernatural start. Every step is building in confidence and courage. And they fall down and their response is worship. In opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. In the book of Psalms and in Isaiah... There's promises that Jesus would be worthy of king's worship, meaning every tribe, tongue, and nation would come before Jesus and recognize him as king, some willingly and some unwillingly. The Bible says that one day Jesus will uphold himself as the final king of all of heaven and earth, and every single person will recognize that he truly is the king. You got 28,000 plus days of living. Some of the most important work that you could ever spend your days is learning about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He's real. He promises to give us a new life. 
His birth was both ordinary and extraordinary. And it's just like our birth in so many ways. Physical birth is ordinary. You were born into a family. You were born in a certain location, in a city, in a town. You didn't choose where you were born, but your birth is your birthday. You celebrate it. Most of you do. The older you get, maybe you don't want to celebrate it as much, but the birth is important. When Jesus was preaching and teaching, he started talking about, if you're going to be a follower of me and you're going to experience my kingdom because he was king, calling himself king, then he said, you must be born again. When I was a uh, young man, I spent many of my years uh, searching for life and experience. And I kept hearing people say stuff like, you got to be born again. And I remember thinking, what are they talking about? Have you ever been there before? As you're introduced to new Christianity, new church, and you hear people saying born again? It was a spiritual term that Jesus used, but it had a, a real impact. There was a gentleman by the name of Nicodemus who was a religious scholar, and he was curious about Jesus. And during the time of Christ, he would come and visit him at night because he didn't want to be seen for investigating the claims of Christ. And he asked basically like, what do I do? How do I, how do I know you're really God? How do I really become a Christian? How do I become a follower of Jesus? How do I know if I'm in heaven or not? And Jesus answers him. He says, truly I say to you, he's speaking to Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is God's rule and reign. That's the promise of eternal life. It's the promise of life, not only later after we die, but the promise of life here as well. And Jesus says, you can't see the kingdom. You can't be a part of the kingdom unless you're born again. And I remember growing up hearing people say, yeah, are you born again? I'm thinking, what are you talking about? I was born once. I was born in Dallas, Texas, Baylor Hospital. Uh, Born again. My parents uh, gave me a period of time where they quit uh, dragging me to church. And they said, you can figure out your faith on your own. Um, We're going to trust God with you. And so I did, and I began to investigate everything else. And I walked through a very long period of, of time thinking, well, you know what? Maybe there is no God at all. And then I had friends start talking about this being born again. And I saw their lives radically transformed Nicodemus didn't understand this. He says, said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? In other words, I don't understand, Jesus. You're talking about being born again. How do you do that? I'm an old person. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Here's the reality. Spiritual birth is extraordinary. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, there's this extraordinary thing that happens. You not only have a physical birth, but now you have a spiritual birth. It's being born again. Jesus answered and he said, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound. Even today, the wind blows, and you think, man, where did that come from? How did that do that? The wind blows, and you do not know where it goes, and so it is everyone who is born of the Spirit. 
Spiritual birth is extraordinary. The Bible says is that when we sin, we're literally, when we, are, we sin, we are dead in our sin. And the only way to enter into the kingdom of God is not to work yourself with good works. It's not to do enough good things to somehow resuscitate your life spiritually. It's not a pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. The beauty of the gospel message that Jesus was preaching, he's saying, you don't have to try to redo yourself, reinvent yourself. That's not what I'm talking about. He said, you must just be born again. And you say to me, how do I be born again? Or what does that mean being a Christian? Being a Christian, here's the take-home truth, means when someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person on the inside. God begins to work inside your life as you trust in him. He begins to work from the inside out. He's not the same anymore. A new life has begun. When I first heard about being born again, I remember a a gentleman by the name of Matt Sherman. Matt and I partied together in high school. If you know my, if you've heard, been around North Valley long enough, you know I had a long past with partying and just uh, living a life of debauchery and trouble. Sin is fun. Everybody, you can't deny that. Doing sin is fun, but sin always catches up with you and it deteriorates and destroys the very life that you thought you were seeking out for. And so I did that. And I had this friend named Matt Sherman. The guy was crazy looking. He had a big afro, white dude, but had an awesome big afro. We go to the parties together. And Matt was one of the most fun people to be around, and he did a lot of drugs. I got into a lot of drugs, and I found out I needed to finance my habits, so I started selling drugs. I started selling drugs uh, during the 90s uh, when I was in Little Rock. Uh, HBO did a special called Gang Banging in Little Rock. Go Google that later. Uh, and so I started uh, selling drugs to the Crips, the Bloods, and the KKK. I loved all colors, all people, but I just found a way to, to make a little money and finance my habits. And I did that for a long period of time, and I felt some relief. And meanwhile, I've got these friends out of the party culture, out of this, out of this partying craziness that we're going through. They're saying they're being born again. And I'm thinking, you're not born again. You were born once, and what you've done is you've gone to church, and you heard some crazy preacher, and you, you, you started to behave better. And I said, but they talked about great new life, and they talked about their desires being changed. And, they talk, and I remember just thinking from the outside in, this looks so weird. And I remember thinking, well, I'll do what they're doing. I'm going to quit doing drugs, and I'm going to act like a Christian for a while. <laughs> So I remember, I, I quit, you know, to give you a, a, just a picture, some of you that have been Christians a good while, Dennis Rainey is the president and founder of Family Life Ministries in Little Rock, Arkansas. He was my Sunday school teacher. And I remember showing up to church, I'd quit a long period of doing drugs and uh, drinking a lot. And he looked at me in the eyes and he says, Ryan, your eyes look great. I can tell you weren't out partying all night last night. I'm proud of you. My teacher started to say, oh, we're so proud of you, Ryan, because I started doing good in school. It's because my dad pulled me aside. And my dad said, Ryan, do you want to go to college? I said, yeah. He said, there's no way you're getting, going to college. You're getting in trouble all the time at school. You've got lousy grades. Then meanwhile, I got born-again Christian friends saying, I met Jesus. My life's awesome. I'm thinking, it's not real. But I do want their morality. 
Uh, for years uh, here at North Valley, uh, for the last few years, the church will be five years old this September. I've heard people say this. I don't know about the church and Jesus and the gospel and born again, but I love the morality of Christianity. So I said, that's, what, that, that, that's exactly how I thought. I thought, ah, Matt is a good guy. He doesn't lie. He doesn't steal. He doesn't have uh, drama in his relationships. He's got a crazy afro. He's a cool dude. I still have fun. It's like something, it was Matt, but without the drugs and the drinking and without the craziness associated with it. So I thought, well, I'll chase that. So I go and I do really good in school. I get the approval from my teachers. I get the approval from my church. I get the approval from my parents. I get the approval from the, I'm not in trouble with the police anymore. I feel really good. But then when I'm honest, there was something like cancer inside of me, a spiritual darkness that was an empty hole. And I was frustrated as anything because my friends keep talking about new life and born again. And I didn't understand it. And Matt would say things like this, Ryan, Jesus has got to be your king. The problem is, is you're king and you're playing God. And I remember thinking, Matt, I don't know what you're talking about. And he said, see, you're dead to sin. You're, de you're dead in sin. And everything you do, e everything you do, you need an entire brand new life. And I thought, how do I do that? And he said, you believe in him and he'll give you a new life. And I thought, man, I don't know. Someone, Bible says, when someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. The problem was, I thought I was a Christian. The problem was, I thought a Christian was somebody who goes to church. I thought a Christian was, was somebody who didn't lie, didn't cuss, didn't drink, didn't, didn't do drugs, didn't sleep around. And so I faked it for a long time. And then I was invited on my senior summer to go to Colorado and there was a bunch more of those Matt kind of people. The kind of people that said they were born again. And I was with those guys and I began to see their life and I was, I was impressed. I was, I was looking for something. I was looking for a new life that wasn't the life that I had lived. Even though I, my grades start doing good, I controlled my partying, I controlled my relationships a little better. I'm a senior, graduated from high school, my senior summer. And I'm thinking, this is what I said. I got on this Greyhound bus in Little Rock, Arkansas, and we were about to load up to go on this big adventure in Colorado with a bunch of born-again people. And I said to God, when I, I, I show up, and it's like a church trip, and just show you my attitude, I'm like smoking my cigarette before I get on the bus, and I put it out, and they're like, oh, here comes Ryan. <laughs> and uh, the youth pastor pulled me aside, and he goes, you're not going to sell any drugs on this trip. And I was like, no. I'm not going to do that. He's like, but you're probably still smoking. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to smoke. He said, get on the bus. I'm praying for you. So I got on the bus, and I remember getting into the bus, the Greyhound bus. And I think the king of heaven and earth was after me for a long time. And so on that bus, I kind of, I see Matt in the background. He's like playing a guitar, acting like a fool, singing Jesus songs. And I'm like, that guy's so weird, but I love him. And I don't want to hang out with him. Do you know what I mean? You ever been, when you're not living for God and your life is a wreck and you know you've just, you're just dark in your sin and you feel dark, it's annoying to be around those people sometimes. 
So I slipped to the very back, and on a Greyhound bus, that's not a good spot because you got the toilet right next to you. And it was stinky, and I just put my head down, and I said, Lord, that's what I feel like. This is miserable. And I said this to God. I said, if you're real, would you show up in Colorado for me? Because here's the deal. I'm praying this silently. My head tucked between my knees, 18-hour drive from Little Rock to Colorado. I said, if you're real, this would be the time, God, because I already had plans. See, I was going to go to Fayetteville, Arkansas with this girl that I'd been sleeping with for a long time. Parents, they were the party cool family. You know, I could, we could get drunk with their mom and dad. We could sleep together. They'd cover it up for everybody else. That was awesome as a partier. I was going to go to college with her. I had my whole life planned. I was going to be in business. My, my goal was, I remember thinking at that age, I was thinking before I got on that church bus, here's what I want to do. I want to be that cool parent that makes fake IDs for my kids. And then we can just party together. That, that was my mindset. And I want to make a lot of money so nobody ever has to worry about it and we're just going to have a blast. And I'd already proven myself in my entrepreneurial skills in selling drugs and throwing big parties where old Miss and schools from Tennessee and schools all around the state would come down. As a high school kid, we were throwing parties with 300, 400 people. I think God in his humor, he said, Ryan, I've given you a gift for assembling people. And my dad, every time I go back to Little Rock, he wraps his arm around me and goes, this is my son. He used to walk with the devil, but now he runs with the Lord. You know? And uh, so I look back on that time and I'm sitting there on that bus and I, and I, I get out of that bus and I'm thinking, okay, God, if you're real, this is the time to show up because I'm really sick and tired of all these happy plastic faces. But I know Matt is different. So I get out and there's more Matts. There's this guy named Seth and he's a guide and we're supposed to go. He's like, hey, guys, uh, we're gonna go tomorrow. We're gonna go whitewater rafting on the Arkansas River, class three, class four whitewater. We were in Buena Vista, Colorado, Collegiate Peaks, beautiful area. And he said, and, and then after that, I'm going to take you out into the uh, Collegiate Peaks Wilderness area, and we're going to spend a, a week out there. And I want you to begin right now to make your plans on asking this question, why are you here? And I knew immediately, I said, well, I want to know if God's real. And uh, Seth pulled me aside later and said, later, I'm going to send you out, and you're going to have a day and a half or so by yourself, and I want you to talk to God and we're going down the river, class three, class four, whitewater. I'm having a blast. It's better than drugs. You know, I'm doing great <laughs> adrenaline. I'm having a blast. I feel clean at some level. I'm seeing friends like Matt and all of them having a blast. And I'm seeing some of my other friends that were in the party culture, like they're talking about Jesus. And I'm like, what's happening? Now I'm having a good time with these guys. And so all of a sudden uh, we go on the backpacking trip and we get out to Colorado and Seth says, he's like quoting scripture. He's like Bible man, like Bible walking, talking man. And he says, did you know the Lord is the maker of heaven and earth and everything, uh, all the sea that's within it? Did you know, Ryan, the Bible says, where does your help come from? My help comes from him. And I remember thinking like, this guy like lives the word. This is another Matt. And I thought to myself, I don't have that. I don't have that. And I thought, okay, God, would you change my life? 
I don't like the old life. I want a new life. And in that, so they said, okay, we're going to go out on a solo. Sent me out on a solo, and I look up at the stars. And I see the stars. I'm overwhelmed with creation. To me, the greatest, the closest I get to God is being outside. For me, it's like going to the edge of the Grand Canyon and saying, this is incredible. You are great. You are big. It's looking at the stars. And so on that night, I looked at the stars, and I saw, it seemed to me, the heavens declaring about the majesty and the power of God. And I felt this big. And I said to him, why don't, I, why, don't I, why don't I ever know you like Matt knows you and Seth knows you and all these other people? And he didn't speak to me audibly, but this is what he said. He said, you never knew me, Ryan. You never knew me. Because he was the king and I always wanted to play king. So it, a powerful king doesn't put up with many kings. Jesus wants to be the supreme king and ruler And the problem is, is why people don't experience his kingdom is because they're playing king. And you can't experience the joy and the privileges and the prestige and all the joy of being in his kingdom if you don't acknowledge him as king. And so in that moment, I said, Lord, what do I have to do to know you? And the Bible verse came to my mind, whoever finds his life must lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And I thought right then and there, I said, I'll lose my life for you. I want to be dead to the old Ryan and new the way you want me to. And in that moment, it was like a, it was born again. It was literally so much so that I go back to the camp, break the rules, even as a Christian, I'm breaking rules, go back to the camp. I'm like, I just met Jesus Christ. I just met Jesus Christ and I got brand new desires. And they're like, what are you talking about? You're not supposed to break it in your solo. And I'm like, no. And then some of the people are like, no, he's faking it. This is what he does. And so Matt sees me and he runs and he hugs me and says, this is our brother. This is Ryan. I've been praying for you. And he tells me, I've been praying for you. I knew God was gonna get a hold of your life. Matt and I became good buddies. We went down to Baylor University for some time. Matt helped me grow in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it was powerful. I went back to Little Rock. First person I reached out to was my little brother, Dave, who helped me start this church. And... uh, David was trying to run away from God and do life like the whole thing. Do it my way. The problem is with people is that we all want to be kings. And that's fine. Like God wants to use you to have a great influence, a great impact. Yes, he does. But the problem is if you don't ever acknowledge him as the big king, you'll never experience the joy of the kingdom. And so in that, here's what the Bible says. Yet to all who did receive him, to all those who believed in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. His birth and our birth is similar in that it's ordinary, yet it's extraordinary. Amen? Amen? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your work. Thank you that you are a great king. Uh, Lord, I pray for my friends that are here today, Lord, that are sensing, man, I do not have that new life, that they take that step. The Bible says if you simply believe in him, and receive him, that he will turn around and give us a new life and a new family, becoming a child, a son, or a daughter of the great utmost high king. So high king of heaven, we thank you that you love us, that you don't want us to remain uh, dead in our sins, but alive in new life, not just once, but day by day by day. And so I pray, God, in the coming Uh, days and weeks ahead as they open that Bible, as they open up that word, as they say a prayer in their car, as they're working and stressed out, tired. God, might they meet you. 
help them. Thank you for the great privilege of sharing about your birth and our new birth promise as we place our faith in you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.